بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين وصلى الله وسلم وبارك على نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين رب شرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحل العقدة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم علمنا ما ينفعنا وانفعنا بما علمتنا وزدنا علما Last week we spoke about Amur Ramada, the year of the ashes. And this was the year where the Muslims of Medina and the surrounding areas in the Hijaz were afflicted with a severe drought that led to a severe famine where the people did not have food to eat. So it was a very difficult period of time. Umar ibn al-Khattab as the ruler of the Muslims, he made sure that the resources and food from Muslim lands that were outside of the afflicted area, he made sure that these resources reached Medina and the Hijaz. And he did his best to assure that everyone was taken care of during this difficult time. So he ordered his governors in Egypt and Persia to send caravans of food to help their brothers and sisters in Medina and the Hijaz. So these governors, they heeded the call of Amirul Mu'mineen, Umar radiallahu anh, and they sent huge amounts of food to take care of the afflicted Muslims. And Umar radiallahu anh himself, he oversaw the distribution of the food and the supplies, and he continued to personally deal with this situation until the drought and the famine ended, walhamdulillah. So the Muslims, they prayed Salatul Istisqa, the prayer asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for rain. And Umar radiallahu an had the uncle of the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. The uncle of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Al-Abbas ibn Abdul Muttalib radiallahu an. Umar radiallahu an had him make dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, begging Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to send rain. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala answered this dua and he sent rain. And through this rain, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought the earth back to life. And the animals and the, and the human beings, alhamdulillah, once again they had food to eat, alhamdulillah. So the drought and the famine ended, alhamdulillah. After this, Al-Abbas radiallahu anh became known as Saqi al-Haramain. Saqi al-Haramain, it means the person through whose dua Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent water to the Haramain, to the land of the Haramain, Mecca and Medina and the Hijaz, alhamdulillah. So this famine of Medina, this was one of the most difficult periods of time during the rule of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And during this time he had to make many decisions and the decisions that he made during that period of time showed his firm foundation of knowledge and his understanding of maqasid al-shari'ah, the goals of the shari'ah. He was a man of knowledge, radiallahu anhu wa ardah. One of the decisions that he made during that famine is that zakat should not be collected from the people of the afflicted lands. It was a period of extreme hardship, so he made a ruling to defer the zakat of that year to a time after the famine had ended. And this rule, of course, it only applied to the areas that were hit by the drought and the famine. It did not apply to the other areas of the Muslim lands that were not afflicted. But as for the Muslims who were living in Medina and those other lands of the Hijaz that were afflicted by the drought and the famine, 
he did not collect zakat from them that year. Rather, he ordered that it be deferred to after the famine had ended. He didn't cancel the zakat, but he postponed it to a time where the circumstances would be back to normal. This showed his firm foundation of knowledge. Also, during the year of the famine, he ordered that the punishment for a person who steals, if that person stole due to extreme hardship, he stole out of necessity, didn't have food, so he stole food. If a person stole out of extreme necessity, then he ordered that the punishment of theft would not be implemented upon this person. In normal circumstances, the punishment of theft, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَالسَّارِقُ وَالسَّارِقَةُ فَقْطَعُوا أَيْدِيَهُمَا جَزَاءً بِمَا كَسَبَ نَكَالًا مِنَ اللَّهُ وَاللَّهُ عَزِيزٌ حَكِيمٌ The punishment for a person who steals is that this person's hand should be cut off. This is the rule of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Umar radiallahu anhu, of course he did not cancel this. This is, this is legislation from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. No one has the right to cancel it. But he ordered that it should not be implemented upon a person who stole out of dire necessity. And that was based upon Umar radiallahu anhu's understanding of the sharia. There is a principle in the sharia, al-dururat tubih al-mahdurat. That necessity, it makes things that are normally haram, halal in these circumstances. Right? For example, if a person is dying of hunger and he has nothing else to eat, there's nothing that he can eat except the meat of a pig, for example. That's the only food he can find. In this situation, either he will die or he can eat the meat of the pig and survive. Is it permissible for him in this situation to eat this meat? Yes, it is permissible for him. Right? That necessities make things that are generally haram, halal in, circ in certain circumstances of extreme need. So based upon Umar an's understanding his firm knowledge of these principles of the sharia and the goals of the sharia, he made these decisions. He made these decisions. So the punishment for theft after it was investigated, why did this person steal? And if it was shown, if it was proven that yes, this person he stole due to extreme need, then Umar did not implement the punishment upon that person. His hand was not cut off. And as for the zakat, he deferred it until after the famine ended. After the famine ended, when the next cycle of collection of zakat came, during the period where things had returned back to normal, Umar ordered that two, two years worth of zakat should be collected from those people. So he didn't cancel the zakat, see? He just deferred it to a time where the circumstances came back to normal, alhamdulillah. So it just shows a very firm grounding in knowledge of the sharia that Umar radiallahu an he had. And also during this period of the famine, Umar radiallahu an learned many valuable lessons from his experience managing the situation of the ummah during that time. You know, he went through a period of difficulty and he managed it to the best of his ability, but he learned certain lessons from this situation as well. One of the lessons that he learned 
is that there needs to be a quick mode of transportation for supplies and food between Egypt and the Arabian Peninsula. He realized the importance of this. That if we ever need something from Egypt, we need to have a quick way to bring it to Medina and the Arabian Peninsula. Egypt at that time, as we mentioned last week, Egypt was the richest and the most full of resources out of all of the Muslim lands at that time. MashaAllah, Egypt had so much wealth, so much food, so many resources that it was enough for the people of Egypt many times over. It was enough for them and they had tens and tens and tens of times more of the food and supplies that they needed. So they had a huge surplus, a huge amount of extra reserves. The amount that they had just in Egypt, it would be enough to take care of the whole ummah at that time. So Egypt was, was very wealthy, alhamdulillah. So during that famine, Umar radiallahu anhu, he, he reached out to the governor of Egypt, his governor in Egypt, Amr ibn al-As. He sent an order to Amr radiallahu to send food from Egypt to Medina. And Amr radiallahu anhu, he did this. He did this, but it took some time for this food to reach Medina. It was not very fast. He sent some food and supplies by land on the backs of camels, right? But sending, sending supplies and food by land, first of all, it's slow. Going by land, it's not fast. And also the amount that you can send is limited. A camel can only carry so much, right? So land is not very efficient because it's slow and the amount that you can send is limited. Sea, sending, sending food and supplies by sea from Egypt to the Arabian Peninsula, that's a better way to send. And Amr, he also sent, he also sent food and supplies by sea as well, across the Red Sea. He did that through ships. And ships, of course, can carry a much bigger load than camels. So sending it through water, it's much faster and it's more efficient and it can carry more in terms of its weight. The amount that can be sent by sea is much more than the amount that can be sent by land. So Amr radiallahu anhu, he sent some by land and he also sent some by ship. But even the, uh, even the resources and the food that he sent by ship, even that took a pretty long time to reach the Arabian Peninsula. Because he had to get it to the Red Sea. So it had to go by land from Egypt. It had to go all the way by land to the Red Sea. And once it reached the port at the Red Sea, then it could go quickly to the Arabian Peninsula. But from the city in Egypt, from the land in Egypt to the Red Sea, that takes time because that has to be done by land. So even the supplies that he, set, that he sent by ship, it took some time for it to arrive because of the land journey that it had to take within Egypt to reach to the Red Sea. So after the famine ended, Umar radiallahu anhu, he wanted to improve this infrastructure. He wanted to improve it in a way so that the transportation from Egypt to the Arabian Peninsula would be faster and more efficient. So he had a great idea to achieve this purpose. He had an idea to construct a channel, a connection that connects the Nile River to the Red Sea and in this way if anything needs to be transported 
from Egypt to the Arabian Peninsula, they don't have to take it all the way to the Red Sea. They can load the ships right at the Nile and then it can go into the Nile through the channel and right into the Red Sea all by water. It eliminates the need for a long journey within Egypt by land. So this was the idea of Umar ibn al-Khattab to construct a channel that connects the Nile River to the Red Sea. So he called Amr ibn al-As to Medina. He called him from Egypt to come to Medina to discuss this with him personally, face to face. So Amr ibn al-As, he comes with a group of his local Egyptian advisors. Amr ibn al-As, he's the governor of Egypt. He's the governor of Egypt, but he has advisors who are local Egyptians, who know Egypt, who know the land, who know the people, right? He keeps these people as his advisors, local Egyptians. So Amr ibn al-As, along with the local Egyptian advisors, they come to Medina. And Umar radiallahu anhu met with Amr ibn al-As personally. He did not, Umar radiallahu anhu did not meet with the advisors of Amr. He just met only with Amr face to face. And he told Amr ibn al-As his idea that I want, to I want to construct a channel. We want to dig, dig a channel that connects the Nile to the Red Sea in order to improve the speed of transportation between Egypt and the Arabian Peninsula. So he tells this idea to Umar ibn al-As. Umar ibn al-As listens to it. And then Umar radiallahu anh says, now you go back and you talk to your local Egyptian advisors who are with you. You talk to them, you tell them about the idea and see what they say and then come back and update me about what they think about this idea. So Umar ibn al-As radiallahu anh, he says, okay. And he goes back to meet with his Egyptian advisors. When Amr ibn al-As relays this idea of Umar ibn al-Khattab to the Egyptian advisors, they do not like this idea. They're not happy with this idea. They say, look, this is going to hurt us in Egypt. Our supplies, our resources from Egypt are going to be taken out of Egypt and they're going to be distributed in other lands. If we open up this channel for transportation, much of our wealth and our resources will be sent outside of Egypt. They were, these advisors, they were thinking in a very selfish way. Egypt had enough wealth to take care of the people of Egypt many, many, many times over. They had so much surplus. They could take care of the whole ummah with their food and their resources and still have many times more than what they need. Right? But they were thinking in a very miserly, stingy type of way. They didn't want to open any type of possibility for the resources that they had to leave Egypt. So they were thinking in a stingy type of way. So they told Amr ibn al-As, they said, you should go back to Amir al-Mu'mineen and you tell him that, you know, this is very difficult to do. It's a very hard project, you know, digging, digging the land and making a channel between the Nile and the Red Sea. It's, it's really not possible to do. And even if it is possible, even if we could do it, it would be harmful to the people of Egypt. They told Amr radiallahu an to go back to Umar radiallahu an and, and, and tell him this. So Amr radiallahu an goes back to Umar, goes back to meet Umar radiallahu an. And before Amr radiallahu an even says anything, before he even opens his mouth, before he says anything, Umar radiallahu an sees the face of Amr ibn al-As. And he, he knows exactly what happened just by seeing his face. 
He knows exactly how the meeting between Amr and his advisors went. Just by seeing the face of Amr bin al-As. This was the intelligence of Umar bin Khattab. He could read people. So when he sees Amr, he starts to laugh. Before Amr even says anything. And he says to Amr, You know, Ya Amr, it's, it's as if I can see you. It's as if I can see you right now with your advisors. After you told them about my idea, they must have said this is not possible. And they must have said, even if it is possible, it would be harmful to the people of Egypt. I'm sure that this is what happened, right? And Amr radiallahu is just amazed. Like, how did he know this? I didn't even tell him anything. And he knows exactly what happened. This is the exact conversation that we had. And he said to Umar ibn al-Khattab, Sadaqta ya Amir al-Mu'mineen. Yes, this is exactly what happened. What you're saying is the truth. This is what transpired in my meeting that I had with my advisors. This is what they said. But Umar radiallahu anhu was very firm in his decision. He said, Ya Amr, I'm issuing, you, I'm issuing you an order. My order is you have to get to work on making the channel immediately. Get to work on it. Even though your advisors, they advised you against it, I am ordering you to do it. I want you to start work on this channel connecting the Nile to the Red Sea immediately. And I want it to be complete within one year. It should be done, finished within one year. This is my order. So Amr radiallahu anhu, he said, لَبَّيْكَ يَا أَمِيرَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ As you order, Ya Amir al-Mu'minin. He went back to Egypt and he assembled a team of experts. And they started construction of the channel connecting the Nile River to the Red Sea. And alhamdulillah, it was successfully completed and ships actually started using it within one year. So this was a great success, this project. And this channel connecting the Nile River and the Red Sea became known as Khalij Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar. The Gulf or the channel of Amir al-Mu'mineen, Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. And it remained operational for many years. It continued after the Khilafah of Umar radiallahu anhu. It continued through the Khilafah of Uthman and Ali. And even after that, it went all the way. It, was, it, was, it remained operational even throughout the rule of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz many, many years later. But then after the rule of Umar ibn Abdul Aziz, then it was not maintained after that. The rulers did not continue to maintain that channel and eventually, you know, dirt started to fall into it and eventually that channel was cut off. It was eventually cut off. But for many years, but for many years after Umar radiallahu anh, the channel was used. Right? And the Muslims benefited from its use greatly. Alhamdulillah, this was one of the great accomplishments of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anh. Towards the later years of the life of Amir al-Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anh, he longed to reach the honorable station of shahada. He wanted to die as a shaheed, as a martyr. And the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa had already prophesied during the time of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa he prophesied, he said that Umar radiallahu anhu will die as a shaheed. So Umar radiallahu anhu, he longed for this. He wanted this. And towards the, the later stage of his life, he started making dua for this. Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib radiallahu anhu, one of the greatest scholars of the tabi'een, the generation that came after the Sahaba. Sa'id ibn, ibn al-Musayyib, he met Umar ibn al-Khattab. One year he made hajj with Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu. So Sa'id ibn al-Musayyib radiallahu anhu, he mentions 
that he heard Umar ibn al-Khattab making dua just outside of Mina after Umar completed his last hajj of his life. He completed hajj. He's pretty old now. He has become physically somewhat weak. He has been ruling the Muslim ummah for many years now. He's gone through a lot of hardships and difficulties. Right? So now, at this stage in his life, he's making dua. After hajj, he raised his hands and he made dua. He said, Allahumma kabura sinni wa da'ufat quwwati wa antasharat ra'iyyati. He said, Ya Allah, I have become old in age and I have become weak physically. And my people, the subjects under my rule, they are spread out now in so many different lands and it's, it's difficult for me now to, to be a ruler. So he made dua to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He said, Allahumma rzuqni ash-shahadata fi sabilik waj'al mawti fi baladi rasulik. He made dua, raising his hands. Allahumma rzuqni ash-shahadata fi sabilik. Ya Allah, grant me martyrdom in your way. Waj'al mawti fi baladi rasulik. And make my death, Ya Allah, in the city of your messenger. The city of your messenger. That's the city of Al-Madinat Al-Munawwara. This was the dua that he made after completing Hajj in the month of Dhul-Hijjah. Hafsa radiyallahu anha, our mother, Ummul Mu'mineen, Hafsa radiyallahu anha, who was one of the wives of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and she was the daughter of Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anha. She was present when her father was making this dua. She was there as well. And she was kind of taken aback and surprised by this dua that her father is making dua Allahumma rzuqni ash-shahadata fi sabilik waj'al mawti fi baladi rasulik he's asking for martyrdom but he's also asking to die in Medina so she asks her father how can this be a person who is asking for shahada this person would be fighting in jihad outside of Medina. There's no jihad going on in Medina. Medina is the capital. It's the center of Islam. It is a Muslim stronghold. There is no fighting going on in Medina. The fights and the jihad, it's going on outside. So if you're asking for shahada, you're asking for death as a martyr, but you're also asking for death in Medina. How can this happen? So Umar radiallahu anhu, he replied to his daughter. He said, يَأْتِينِي بِهِ اللَّهُ إِذَا شَاءُ that Allah will grant me this if He wills. Allah is able to do all things. He can grant me this if He wills. And subhanallah, that month of Dhul-Hijjah did not end before Umar anhu's prayer, his dua was answered. And he was granted martyrdom radiallahu anhu, in the blessed city of Medina, the city of the Prophet Inshallah, in our next session, we will speak about the events that led up to one of the greatest tragedies in the history of this ummah, the assassination of Amirul Mu'mineen Umar ibn al-Khattab radiyallahu anhu wa ardah. Inshallah, we'll go over these events in the next session bi-idhnillah. Barakallahu feekum. Wallahu alam. Sallallahu wa sallam wa baraka ala nabiyyina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in.